Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Med Street Journal. Sponsored by Open Loop, a trusted partner for telehealth companies across the U.S. looking to launch and scale their virtual care services. Check them out at openloophealth.com. My name is Rodney Hu, your host as always, and today I'm joined by another very special guest, Mr. David Stein. He's a CEO and co-founder of ASH, so I'm excited to have him here and learn about what he's doing in the healthcare space. So with that being said, David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's just jump into it. Why don't you give people a brief background of like who you are and how you ended up at Ash and created this company? Absolutely. Yeah. So we launched Ash just over or just about two years ago now and actually launched out of a master's program at Cornell Tech, which is an offshoot of Cornell based in New York City proper. Came together as a four-person co-founding team around the idea of making sexual health more inclusive and accessible. So we're mostly a queer LGBTQ plus co-founding team. And we just all had honestly personal pain points in the space of accessing inclusive and comprehensive sexual and wellness services. And so within the grad school program at Cornell Tech, there is a, the capstone of the course there is a class called Startup Studio, and it's similar to an incubator. They help you find a startup, uh, find a co-founding team, and fund some of those startups. So we actually launched Ash right before COVID as a direct consumer at-home testing company for sexually transmitted infections. And it was aimed at the LGBT community and we were doing the most comprehensive and inclusive kind of testing that we were able to do at the time in the direct consumer space. But fast forward to where we are now, we call ourselves a at-home health testing company, a remote diagnostics platform. And so essentially how we got to where we are was we launched during COVID And we realized more or less that through a series of events that most of the providers in the space, both, you know, traditional healthcare providers like hospital systems, as well as telemedicine companies over COVID could really use the services and platform and infrastructure we had built to power remote diagnostics because they bring their patients in, in the normal fashion they were used to doing. And so we decided to package and sell our platform and services to those partners and the business really took off. So we expanded then from exclusively doing sexual at-home testing kits, so testing for STIs and PrEP and some other diagnostics related to that. And we now do over 60 different types of diagnostics and work with public health institutions, universities, traditional hospital systems, major telemedicine companies, et cetera to power their remote diagnostic kind of apparatus. And we, for the most part, do it in a white labeled fashion. So their users don't even know ashes on the back end. Dang, that's an interesting journey, man. So (laughs) it's interesting to hear like the foundations and how you guys have been like learning and growing and just been able to stack on your success and, but really being able to tackle the problem. And you mentioned how you guys started with the LGBT community? Is that who you guys are still primarily focused on right now? And is there a reason why you guys started there to begin? Yeah, great question. I So the reason we started there is just honestly, most of us are queer or LGBTQ plus, and we wanted to help our own communities and make testing more accessible for those communities. But I would say now 
<laughs> we don't necessarily target exclusively LGBTQ providers or companies or healthcare verticals that target those communities. However, I would say, I think just naturally because of our the work we do and the people we are, a lot of the companies and partners we work with happen to be LGBTQ servicing companies that help those communities. Yeah. Okay. And so like your guys' actual offering, like people can just go to your website and get this or do they have to go through a provider or what sort of pathway do people have to like consume your product? Yeah, great question. So we actually, we used to have a direct consumer site where you could come to our website, order a testing kit, and we'd ship it directly to your house. Now we exclusively sell through our partners. So it's a B2B2C model in that sense. And we're working with everyone from a major traditional hospital system to a brand new telemedicine company that launched in the midst of COVID to a old school public health uh, department that you have in every kind of major city and stuff. And so for the most part, I would say our partners have an online kind of telemedicine platform where they'll do consults and then based on that consult, order diagnostics. And our system plugs into their EMR, EHR. Typically, we receive the order, ship out a testing kit that you know, customer, user, patient, whatever you want to call them, does the self-testing kit. We provide all the instructions and curate the user experience there. They send it back to one of our partner laboratories, and then our labs test those samples and upload the results to our portal, which is then integrated into their their ultimate kind of dependent on the partner, EHR, EMR, so that the provider can then provide next steps uh, for the patient. And so, just generally to answer your question, we now exclusively work with partners. So in order to access NASH testing kit, your provider who whatever healthcare service you're using has to be working with Ashton. Interesting. Yeah, that was a nice answer because you really painted the picture on really like the journey that someone goes through and like the transfer of information from when somebody expresses interest and how seamless you guys make that process because of whether it's your platform and how easily you integrate with other people's softwares or whatever tech stack they're using. So that's pretty interesting. And then you, I said, you said you guys white label that. So they, they don't even see your exactly. guys' brand. They just get your guys' kits. Exactly. Yeah. So for the most part, our partners, the people that we're working with, the different organizations and stuff prefer that their patients, their customers don't know it's a third party kind of doing uh, the backend stuff for the diagnostics and kidding. So if we're working with a provider, let's just say in New York City called Metropolitan Providers, the kit will say Metropolitan Kit and it will, and for the user's sake, it just looks like it's all coming from that provider and they're exclusively working with that provider. And it kind of, I think what we've heard from our partners, it just provides a stickiness for those patients to say, look how many services in 21st century new age telehealth services my provider is now offering. And it looks like it's just fully coming from them. Dang, that's interesting. So for the providers, it makes sense for them to just partner with you instead of trying to 
figure out how to create and go through that whole process of developing that offer to their customers. They can just leverage someone who like you and your brand and you and your brand and your expertise to be able to deliver value to the end consumer. Exactly. Exactly. We either have one or two things happen to us. So like <laughs> we got into the space on the direct consumer side and honestly, because we had, I guess what you could call humble beginnings with not a lot of funding and not a lot of resources. We built most of our services from scratch, which is a benefit now because we own those services. But to get into the space, to be able to provide diagnostics, to be able to provide um, the fulfillment side of the kidding, relationships with labs, it's hard and it's expensive and it takes a lot of time. And so one of two things tends to happen. Either we'll do outreach to an organization who might be a candidate for a remote diagnostics, and they'll say, okay, this is interesting. We haven't really thought about it before, but we're going to try build this ourselves. And what happens more often than not is they'll come back anywhere from two weeks to two months later and say, <laughs> oh my goodness, it was that like, this is insane, way too hard to build. Can we partner with you? Can you guys take care of everything for us? And obviously we're like, yes, that's what we do. That's our service. Or we'll go to them when they already know a little bit about the space and either like they found us or we found them and they're like, it's really hard to break into the space and figure out all the components that you need to turn something like this on. Let's work together. Yeah, that's crazy because you expose them you show them the tip of the iceberg and then they go and see like beneath the surface. Oh, dang, this is exactly. way more than we were expecting. And it's overwhelming. So it's like, because right. then on their end, it's like, do we need to spend the resources and time and energy and all those factors and building this? And you guys just come in. But I feel like that's like a benefit to you guys as well, because you guys still get to deliver your value to the end consumer. But instead of going directly to them, you're like partnering people who's already working with your ideal client. So exactly. it's a win-win, exactly. but obviously like this whole operation is interesting and complex as it is, doesn't happen with one person. So I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about the different team members and the different talents and skill sets that you pulled in to build this thing up, make it come to life. Absolutely. And I always say I'd be nowhere at, without our amazing, amazing team and my amazing co-founders. But what's interesting about our co-founding team breaking into the healthcare space and health tech kind of at home healthcare space is none of us have traditional healthcare backgrounds. So none of us have your MDs or registered nurse or clinical backgrounds in that traditional respect, which I think has helped us a ton to innovate and think differently and challenge the norm and stuff. But we came together as a four-person co-founding team. So myself and I two, right now, all things sales and business development. My co-founder, Kyle Waters, who does ops and product. And he spent six years previous to Ash working at Deloitte doing a host of different product things and building out major mobile apps and web apps for Fortune 500 companies. 
Mio, she had spent the last five years at a biotech here in New York City, actually as a research scientist. So she probably has the closest thing to medical or clinical backgrounds, but she went back to grad school to do her design degree at Parsons. And we met her uh, through the grad school program there. And so she leads all things uh, brand and design for Ash. And then finally, Nick, who spent the last few years prior to Ash in the fintech space as a full tech engineer came to Ash and is the mastermind behind our entire platform. So leading our engineering team and building everything out. And beyond that, we've honestly just rapidly grown in the last four or five months. So we went from a four person team, all of us doing everything and working insane hours to we're now about (laughs) 15 uh, people and hopefully 20 by the end of the year. But have now actually hired people with traditional healthcare backgrounds and more of those experiences that we don't necessarily have, we didn't necessarily have in-house before. Mm-hmm. Dang, that's pretty cool. Like, interesting to hear you guys' growth journey. And so, like, when you, like, first got started and, like, you started, you took a risk creating this sort of solution, how did you go about validating that what you were working on was actually a problem that people were interested in solving? Yeah. Wow. That is such a good question. So I have two answers to that because we started in the direct consumer space. So we started in a different product to what we are in today. But at the time we just, and we were in this grad school program that was an incubator leading us to figuring out the best kind of product market fit and what we should put out there into the world. And so we just did a ton of customer discovery, everything from surveys to interviewing people. My favorite story though, is this was pre COVID, I think it's probably like January, 2020, the team, we went to Washington square park in New York city and we, we were a sexual health and wellness company at the time. So exclusively. So we had printed out these huge posters that said, we love or do you love sex so do we come talk to us about it and we were these crazy people in Washington Square Park holding up signs talking to people and user interviewing people around their testing habits and whether or not they would consider using an at-home testing kit and then also paying for it out of pocket so we did a ton of that kind of traditional and non-traditional user testing and customer discovery. And then I think beyond that, when we moved and pivoted to the B2B side of stuff, we had an interesting journey there. So I said before we that we just jumped into the B2B side and realized these providers would buy our products and needed them. But the journey to getting there was actually, I guess, a customer discovery user testing journey in, in of itself in that we basically realized customer acquisition on the direct consumer side was very difficult in that costs upwards of $150 to acquire a customer on the D2C side. And our test kits cost $150. So it was like a break even at best. And we were competing against major players in the space. Everly, let's get checked, who had raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And it was just a losing game. So we started to focus on partnerships as a means to acquire customers. And what what better place to find people who want testing kits and want to do it in the privacy of their own homes and not talk to actual humans about it than college campuses. So we started to do a lot of college campus outreach and specifically working with sororities and fraternities as a means to acquire customers. And slowly we realized, holy shit, we, you know, 
can sell 150 testing kits to a sorority for a couple hours of our time versus $150 for one customer that is never going to be super loyal to Ash as a brand because they're going where the best deal is if they're paying out of pocket. And we progressed from there. We went from sororities to a few telemedicine companies to a major university and then more traditional hospital systems and just realized, okay, everyone in the space, everyone in the healthcare space is moving to telemedicine over COVID. Similar, you know, kind of journey, I would guess that open loop experienced. And so they need these kind of wraparound services to enable them to do so and better, you know, provide care to their patients and meet their patients where they're at. That's interesting. And listening to you talk about that, it, like it makes sense why you guys would go to the B2B side because it's like the direct to consumer. If you guys like breaking even, it's like that one to one. But if you go to the B2B model, it's like one to many, like each exactly. thing that you're spending time and money on, you're leveraging it instead of just instead of playing chess, you're playing or instead of playing checkers, you're playing chess at this point. So every exactly. movie make is leveraged. Ah, that's interesting. And our favorite kind of, I don't know, I guess <laughs> sales pitch to more of those traditional clients was just that we were enabling them to better serve their patients and we weren't competing with them. So all of a sudden COVID where telemedicine is taking off and these traditional health writers, health writers are bearing the brunt of caring for COVID patients. They're also losing rep and having to make staff cuts and just going through generally a really tough time and also trying to stay relevant in the telehealth space and keep their kind of patient populations. And so our sales pitch for the most part was to go to them and say, hey, we're not competing with you. We're helping you catch up. We're helping you better serve your patients and we're helping you make the jump to telehealth through our platform and services. Interesting. I like the mindset of complimenting, not competing, because it's a lot more beneficial when you think like win-win situations and stuff like that. But over the past two years, you guys have learned, you guys have grown, you, you have a team, you have the infrastructure to be able to provide value. But what sort of problems are you guys experiencing now that you're trying to tackle and overcome? Yeah. Great question. So I think honestly, the one of the biggest problems that we are, I guess, I would say tackling is figuring out what is needed to um, convince that end payer. So think major insurance company, major kind of uh, policy decision maker at some of these end payers to remote diagnostic testing at home self-testing kits is the future and there's no going back and so you should be reimbursing those testing kits at 100 percent of the rate and you should be embracing your users your providers your partners to use them and the reason is because we see on average the adherence to actually getting tested, be it for whatever your provider is ordering a test for, is much higher when we send a test kit to someone's house than when we ask them to go to Quest or LabCorp or in-person blood draw and, you know, make an appointment, show up to that appointment, get there, take time off work to do. And so it's just a no-brainer across the board. And that actually, if you can test people more frequently, and I think this is a lesson learned across the board through COVID all around the world, if you can test people more frequently, understand kind of the data points that you need to 
uh, provide care and prevent a long-term issues, to put it as broadly as possible, it's actually long-term cheaper to test more frequently than it is to avoid that on the short term and say, okay, we don't need to test people as frequently or as much as uh, one would think. So I'd say the biggest challenge is just getting that last part of this ultimate kind of um, stakeholder journey, right? Everyone from the consumer to the provider to administrators to the policy kind of people at the end to accept this new wave of remote diagnostic testing. Nice. And just really getting them to buy into like the convenience factor of (laughs) what you guys are doing and how it plays into the overall picture. It's interesting. So yeah, we're coming up towards the end of the interview, but I just had one more question and it's what sort of advice would you have for other CEOs, other healthcare entrepreneurs looking to get their solution out to the market? Yeah, that is a great question. I would say what keeps our team going, truthfully, through all the ups and downs. And in the last year, we've experienced a lot of success and good things, but it's honestly constantly a roller coaster. But the best piece of advice is just working on, and it's not novel by any means, but working on something that you're really passionate about from a personal standpoint. And so we came into this space because we were like, it is hard to go and find STI testing, even in a major metropolitan city like New York, if you're a queer person or not even a queer person, but if you're anyone. And so how do we make that more accessible and more inclusive? And to date, we've shipped over 12,000 testing kits to people across 47 of the 50 states, I think, is the stat, but we've actually done it. We've made sexual health and healthcare generally more inclusive and more accessible by believing in what we set out to do. And it it all started from a personal kind of pain point. So I think just generally working on something that you're personally passionate about is is really important because the journey is a roller coaster without a doubt. (laughs) Yeah, it's no, it's no straight line for sure. But it's how you navigate those adversities, get your solution out to the market. I appreciate that advice. But we covered a lot of the high-level topics, but I like to end each interview on a little lighter exercise with something I call a rapid-fire round. So sure. I'm just going to ask you a set of questions, and you give me whatever answers you come up with. Okay. All right, cool. Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Ooh, great question. It is man's search for meaning i always mess up the name but yeah excellent book just by a holocaust survivor psychologist person who has a lot of good life lessons awesome number two who is the most influential person in your life or career yeah i'd say my mom she is she raised four boys while being a full-time physician and has just really risen in her career and done it all and it's very inspiring awesome shout out to mom Uh, number three (laughs) what is one goal you want to accomplish within the next year i would say i think figuring out the insurance side of stuff figuring out what major insurers can uh, back and ultimately reimburse around at-home testing kits okay and then last but not least what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self be yourself people like you more are attracted to you more and want to work with you and be around you when you're just your true self 
Awesome. Excellent piece of advice. Perfect way to end today's podcast. David, just want to say thank you again for jumping on and just sharing the value and sharing your journey, the story behind Ash. Um, but before you go ahead and plug, where can people connect with you if they want to um, learn more? Absolutely. So our website is poweredbyash.com. So P-O-W-E-R-E-D-B-Y-A-S-H.com. And our kind of social handles are meet, M-E-E-T, Ash Wellness, Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And I always say, if anybody wants to email me directly, be it for to work with us or a job or ideas, comments, thoughts about the space, Always happy to entertain a conversation there. And it's just david at poweredbyash.com. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include links to all those in the resources section. But with that being said, that ends today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one.